Hello! Oh, hi! 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 Hello. Hey! Uh, welcome to Praise Dionysus! Praise, praise him! him. Hi. Oh, oh, he's being praised! Oh, yeah, it's happening! Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, happening! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today we're going to be continuing our midsummery. Yes! The midsummery that we are doing. Shazam! Shazam! Shabingpot! Uh-huh. Uh, we'll be talking today about Outlier by Marcus Bateson, uh, the remix, the Midsummer Special by Improv Conspiracy, Cult by Ryan Henry and Burgers by Travis Alabanza. You really hit that zzz. I wanted to be clear, Burgers with a Z. Ooh, Burgers with a Z. Yeah, it's sexy, it's oh. different. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hi. How you going? Yeah, good, thanks. That's good. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Um, yeah, I had work today. Oh, great. <laughs> it was my fun story. I that... come straight from work. Uh-huh. It's a wonderful day in the world of public health administration. Oh, great. Thanks. I feel like you were more prepared for this conversation than I was. That's good. I'm glad that was a neatly summarised little sentence. <laughs> well, Jake, what about you? What have you got to say for yourself? Nothing. No, nothing at all. No, no, nothing. Just like a regular day. It was super fine. Great. Um, lately, I've just been eating a lot of discounted bread. And that's my sweet little anecdote. What sort of bread are we talking? What sort of bread? I'm branching out. It's really just whatever is in the Woolworths near to where I tend to be most of the time. Sure. Um, and I don't, I, 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 I'm tentative to broadcast this to the world because if everyone cottons onto the fact that there's a whole shelf of discount bread at Woolworths, it may get pillaged and then I won't have any food. <laughs> I, think, I think people know about the discount shelf. Then why aren't they all eating it? I'm eating like a king. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The king of the ducks. Moldy bread. Yum. Yum. That sounds yum. Today sounds like I, had, I had caramel chocolate hot cross buns because I was having an odd morning. So I was like, you know what, Jake? Get the disgusting option. Caramel. Caramel is one of those things I love. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> uh, I don't understand what caramel is. Isn't it like it's just a blend of like milk, chocolate, and caramel? I think the fact that your explanation had a question mark at the end kind of suggests you're not super sure. I'm not super sure either, no, but I'm just stabbing in the dark just with sort what of the a, name is. Well, it's stabbed in the what? Stabbing in the dark. Quack, I had to quack. stab in the dark. Uh, <laughs> 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 you just, got me. I just feel like caramel came onto the scene with very little hullabaloo, and somehow, yeah. I don't know, I feel like, I don't know, it should be on the same rung as Top Deck, but in my mind, it just really isn't. It, it gets a bit Moorish, I think. Oh, why are you saying that like it's a negative thing? Now, here's something, Jay. Oh, no, I'm what? not sure what the word Moorish really means. In my brain, uh. I always think Moorish means you couldn't possibly have more of it. But is Moorish actually the opposite of that? Well, it depends what the tone of what you just said. You couldn't possibly have more of it. Oh, it's too much. It's Moorish. <laughs> Um, well, like it's too rich. Yeah, is that what yeah, you're, yeah. Oh, I think it's like the opposite. Moorish is like, oh, it's so good, but somehow is also immediately unsatisfying. So I need to go back for more of it. Oh, you know, okay. Like, mm, 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 no, I'm going to no, finish this. Caramel's too rich for me. Too, okay. Yes. yes, I'm, yes, yes. Uh, I can't have it too much. Well, you shouldn't be intimidated by wealth. Wealthy people aren't better than you. No, they're definitely not. And wealthy chocolate certainly isn't. They're worse. Mm. Uh how was your week? <laughs> rate it out of five. Come on, do uh, the thing. Oh my god. I'm gonna whip you like a monkey. Um, what's this week been like? Um, oh, I saw the whale. <laughs> you looked in a mirror, you mean. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Yes, Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser. Yes, Return to Cinema. Did you like it? I liked that he was back to the cinema. Ah. ah okay. Did All not right. like the film. Interesting. 
Yeah. Sure, I've heard really good things and really bad things. Yeah, no, my sister cried the whole way through it, apparently. No, I couldn't handle how much I wasn't enjoying it. What didn't you enjoy about it? It, Well, one of the things, like, I'd say if you had to make me rank the things, and again, I don't like ranking things, but if I had to rank the things I didn't like about the whale, I think the first thing that I would rank would be, it did the thing where it's like when you're watching a movie, have you had this experience where you're watching a movie and then part of the way through it, you're like, this really feels like it's a play. Yes, a hundred percent, and it's it's like, why isn't this just being done as a play? But then you get to the like closing credits, and it's like based on the play by Samuel D. Hunter. This was was it based on a play? Yeah, really. Yeah, I didn't know that. When did, has that happened to you? When you have been watching a movie? Uh, no, no, I've definitely been watching things and thought like this feels too much. Like I've never had like the the fun could reveal that it was in fact a play. Oh, but okay. I've definitely watched things and thought this feels like they've just taken a play and put it on a movie. Can you? Like pin down one or two things that make you realize, or can like, think that something. Is it's more something play-y. about the way the dialogue works. It's less mm. uh, for me. I think if I'm watching something and there's a lot of like, God, I don't even know how to describe it. Mm. It's just something about the way that people talk, written for plays, that does not work, or not necessarily work, but doesn't translate exactly the same as on screen. Yeah, because I feel like it's written for like a larger room of people. It's written to be live, and it's written. Uh, in a way where it's, you can't really make mistakes because on screen you can just redo it. Okay. So yeah, I think like there's a lot more room for improvisation. Sure. And a lot more room for like natural beats. Okay. Whereas with theatre, it's a lot more. You got to say this at this time. Okay. That's is what I think. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. What, yeah. what what ticks you off? What like um, what tips tips oh, you off? Well, it's not necessarily oh, what tips me off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I suppose it, the first time I experienced the sensation, I think, was when I was watching Closer. Um, like the Julia Roberts, Natalie Portman movie. Uh-huh. Um, and it, it was like, I watched that knowing that it was a play, like based on a play, but it was the first time that I really was met with the thing of like, oh, this really feels so much like a play. And mm. as you're sort of describing, it came down largely to have the, like, how the dialogue functioned. Yeah. The way, and I remember reading a review because I was sort of, what my con- I wanted my confusion validated by somebody. <laughs> and so I went to the internet to see any like reviews of Closer. Mm. And one of them said that the, the, the emotions were too arch for the screen. To arch. Yes, okay. to arch. Um, which, uh, uh, yeah, which, uh, yeah, which is correct in the way it's like every time I think about Closer and the things that make it feel theatrical to me in the film adaptation, it goes to scenes where like Julia Roberts is yelling at Clive Owen and he's like, what does his cum taste like? And she's like, yours, but sweeter. And somehow oh. that is like a crystallized moment of like, this would be a beautiful line to witness someone yell at someone on a stage, but somehow seeing Julia Roberts do it in this like apartment on screen feels like somehow too... They've robbed the joy. In some way, yeah, I guess in some mm. way they have robbed the joy and somehow it seems like those that language can only exist on stage for some reason. I'm not sure. Huh. And then with the, and the... Yeah, so the whale had similar things about it too, where it's like the conversations because they were... I don't know, so very familiar ones. Like, I'm not going to spoil anything about the whale because I think everything that I'm going to say has been, like, brought up in the trailer or the conversation surrounding it very publicly whatever and also but again too there's not much to spoil because so much of it is so conventional and familiar and that's mm. part of what made it feel so theatrical in the way that it's like you just have these like a long conversation between like a man and his like his ex-wife that he left for a man you know and you just have all of these expected conversations of like you abandoned your family and he's like oh, i was in love i didn't know what to do and it's like we've seen this conversation yeah. happen so many times yeah and something about having that conversation done in the exact in that like exact same sort of way on a stage, I think I'm much more ready for because of like the magic of what theater is and the yeah. way that it's like 
uh, I don't know, there's something in theatrical storytelling that, that is permitted to be a level of... Like, it, it can be a bit more familiar in mm. the way that it's like there's something so rudimentary about theatrical undertakings where it's... I don't know. It's, it's almost it's, nice to have an anchor to hold on to in the magical world of theatre. Somewhat, yeah. And, yeah, and there's something that adds a level of significance to things when it's on stage just by virtue mm. of it being on the stage in front of you but, 100%. You, you but then you make like a million dollar movie you get Brendan Fraser to come back to making films again and you give him these scenes that we've seen time and time again it was just kind of like oh why is this happening and amidst these things it's like sure have these like tropey exchanges but say something new and interesting with them and at the end of the day it just while watching it it ended up just feeling like okay, this is a play that's being filmed and fell into like the same old pitfalls that Tracy Letts talked about when he adapted August Osage County into being a movie. And it's like, when you can spot that Aristotelian like the consistency of time, you know, and consistency of place, where it's mm. like the, the classic idea of what theatre is supposed to be is like, it should be in the same place over the like one period of time and that's how the piece should work. And when you have these things where it's like, you get that sensation when you're watching these things that don't adapt the way that August Osage County did, which Tracy Letts deliberately did of expanding the world beyond just being in the house like the play was. Like they mm. went into town, they went outside, like all of these things that you can't necessarily accomplish in such a classic naturalistic piece of modern American theatre. Um, but yeah, with The Whale, you're in Brendan Fraser's fat guy apartment the entire time, and it already, in that way, makes it feel inherently theatrical. And I don't know if that's just what, like something that I got hung up on. So Jake's one-word review of The Whale is beached. <sighs> Yaha! And also, I'm not going to dwell on this any longer, because I know I've been talking about The Whale for like a very long time. But I th it also did the thing, too, where like like, a large thing going throughout the entire movie is this thing about Moby Dick, and how he keeps rereading his like daughter's essay about Moby Dick. And it's like, why is it that whenever there's like a literary reference or someone in like a movie or something has like a favorite novel, it's always like the most accessible high school reading list book or play. Hmm. It's never some undiscovered classic. It's always like, oh, I'm quirky and I love Frankenstein. It's not House of Holes. <laughs> it's not House of it's Holes. It's never House of Holes. Exactly. Yes. It's always like, oh, I, I'm obsessed with the Greg Gatsby. It's like... Why yeah. has this Have been you read the Odyssey? It's like yeah, it's like this mm. has been written by a writer who presumably cares about literature, and their reference points are always like Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's that's all I have to say about. You had a lot Fraser. to say about the whale. No, I didn't realize I did until I started talking. I'm very glad Brendan's back. Same. same. I hope I this think movie gets no awards. <laughs> I hope he gets. An award. I'd love him to get an award. Very nice. Just because you know he deserves it for so many reasons. Award for coming back. Yes. <laughs> Best coming back for Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> well, hmm. so you saw the whale. I so did. give it five stars. You want me to rate the whale? No, nah, rate your weekend. Ah, 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 ah! I will Ugh. give. Uh, sorry, I had a full blown gazzy. Yeah, I saw. I'm gonna give it six stars. Oh, you know, for Brendan. Six stars for Brendan. Yes, like it. How many how many Brendan Fraser movies do you like? Obviously, The Mummy. Of course. Um. I loved him in Scrubs. Sure, that was a sad episode. I loved him in Scrubs. Um, <laughs> that's probably my two biggest points of reference for Brendan Fraser. Okay, sure. Because I never saw George of the Jungle. Sure. Or The Mummy Returns. Oh, sure, The Mummy Returns as well. I like that yeah. movie. What about Tomb of the Dragon Emperor? Again, I like that movie. I know it's a bad film, but I <laughs> sure. like that movie because it's got Brendan Fraser. And right. you just love Maria Bello. Don't you? Who's Maria Bella? She's the one who replaced Rachel Weisz. How you... could you replace <laughs> Rachel Weisz? No one can. Oh, no I'm sorry, Miss Bello. But, uh... <laughs> anyway, um, how was your <clears throat> week? Good. Good. Fine. Uh, what have I done? 
I have done all sorts of things. I've helped. Flynn is currently like moving back into his house. Is this a man you met on the street? Is this it's your cousin? It's my boyfriend. What? James! It's my boyfriend. His name is Flynn. Oh my We've god, and you're already nearly, helping him move? Nearly two years. It's gotten so serious. He's been living so with me fast. for the past three months. <laughs> oh <laughs> my <laughs> word. Okay. So, That's exciting. Thank you, Jake. What's it's his an name exciting again? time. Flynn, you I'll can... T- okay, I'll try to commit yeah, that to yeah. memory. Try it. What's his name? Oh, this is embarrassing. It's uncomfortable. Giblet? Giblet. The only acceptable thing to name Giblet would be a chicken. Uh, yeah, so I um, helped Flynn like move a bunch of stuff in his house because they're doing some painting. Uh-huh. Um, I had like a lunch with his family. I, I went to like a friend's birthday drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched oh. the menu. Ah! 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 Oh! How Anya Taylor joyous. Oh! Brother, I'm very feeling very Rafe fine about it. That's good. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good. Well, don't Nicholas halt any longer. Oh, Let me know what you thought. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Who else is even in the movie? Uh, Give me, tell me one more person in the movie. I'll cry for something. Um, I, I'm having a Judith Light bowl. No, bowl I'm off. doing it. Well, no. you need to know more cast members, don't oh, you? Fuck you. Um, so I saw the menu. I don't love... get all guy from Broad shitty about it. <laughs> That was good. Well, you better keep talking or I'm going to have to The menu, I saw the menu. I'll have to say Hong Chow to you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hate this so much. Um, (laughs) So I saw the menu and I really loved it. I really, really loved it. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think... No, I don't want to do any spoilers for the menu. Uh Not at all what I thought the plot would be. Mm -hmm. I expected the plot to be very different. Mm -hmm. Uh, I expected the big reveals to be not at all what they were. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, and I loved them. They made me love it even more. And I'm glad I've worked in hospitality because I think it's allowed me to appreciate the menu better. Right. Okay, great. I think anyone who is, works in the service industry, you need to watch the menu. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I want to work with Ray Fiennes. In the menu, the character. Oh, oh, you want to work with him? I want to be one of those chefs. In that circumstance. I'm ready. Oh my God. I'm ready. I've got nothing left. Let's go. <sighs> God, yeah. yeah, sorry. Vague, vague spoilers, vague, my yeah. guy. No, really good. Yeah. yeah a movie sorry. has not affected me like that in quite some time. Really? Yeah. Okay. I was like, I, I went into it thinking it was going to be like a dark comedy, quack, quack, and then it ended up being what it was. Yeah. And it truly, there were moments where it was like, this is what a nightmare feels like. Yes. Oh my God. Everyone trapped in that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think I did watch it as a black comedy mm-hmm. and it worked as a black comedy for me. Sure, okay. Um, but there were definitely moments that made me go, oh yeah, mm. this is... If I if I could own a restaurant, I would do this. What part would you do? All of it. All of James! <laughs> you can't menu people. I would if I had worked in the service industry for like 40 years. Uh-huh. I think I would menu people. <laughs> now here's something that I, that I, I, I had a discussion with... Who was it? I think it was my housemate, Imogen. We had a chat. Uh-huh. The menu done as like a sit-down cabaret dinner. Okay. So so people are invited to sit down for dinner and watch the cabaret of the menu. Okay. What are the acts? What, what like what, how does that function as a piece and, and how could we do it? Is this discussable without ruining the plot of the menu? Oh yeah, tune out if you don't want to hear spoilers of the menu. Or just skip ahead a little bit. Yeah, we'll put a timestamp in. Jake, edit a timestamp in here. Uh, hey, uh, hello, sweet listener. Uh, go ahead and skip to 1838 would be the timestamp if you want to avoid uh, having the menu ruined for yourself. 
Oh, I hope Jake did that. Oh, I hope he used a thunderstorm or something. <laughs> so people come, they sit down, they watch this cabaret, and it's... Uh, are they presumably, like, they are the guests at the menu? I presume they've all been invited to the fancy restaurant that is the menu. Okay, so of course the premise of the menu being that Ray Fiennes is running a fancy restaurant, and one night he decides that tonight all the guests that come to his restaurant on an island are going to be murdered by the end of the meal. And the only way to survive is to be a genuinely decent human being to service industry staff, which I think is a great message. But he also deliberately did not invite anybody that fell into that category. No, absolutely. Absolutely, but then yeah. when one did come along, he respected her when she respected him. Eventually. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, right, so these people come along and, okay, so you're the chef in the cabaret. Yeah, which I guess will be the MC. Okay. And then is it a meal that gets served or is the, is it cabaret and songs instead of meals and dishes? I imagine it's like it's a dine-in situation. Like, I'm thinking Dracula's, but the menu. Okay. So you come in, you sit down, you get served your wonderful food, and each course is accompanied by an act of some sort, which I think would work as a variety night. It absolutely would, if you mm. do acts, yes, based on the themes of the dishes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I imagine there's no way to kill anybody. No way to kill anybody. Maybe you could have, like, some plants in the audience that you could, like, always have. This to, is a... Com- to kill. To kill. Sure. To kill. Yeah. Sidebar. I've always thought that it would be a great idea to have a show. Mm-hmm. You know how there's shows that are, like, famous for, like, really random things, like... Um, like just gimmicks they do like Jesus Christ Superstar there's always like a celebrity playing um, the 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 the, the king what's his name oh the guy that's King Herod free King Herod King Herod is always, always a... like a celebrity oh yes yeah, yeah, yeah. The wrong thing. little gimmicks yeah. or things like that sure um, like the penises in hair like the, pe- like the penises in hair 100% mm-hmm. sure what if there was a show that was just really well known because at one point in the show someone from the cast just walks into the audience picks a random audience member and just slaps them across the face. Uh-huh. And then every night, everyone's wondering, Who, who's it going to be? <laughs> who's it going to be? Where is it going to be? Well, are they going to go into the dress circle? What are they going to do? I think that would be a good idea. And I think something like that could work for the menu. Okay, the menu, the cabaret dinner experience. 100%. Like, right. one person every night gets brought up on stage and, like, fake killed. Sure, sure. That could be kind of fun. Yeah, well, I think that would almost have to happen in, like, song three. I'd oh, say. definitely not at the start. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, no, there's something in there for sure. So, guys, if um, you're listening, Well, even if you it. can accomplish something where the audience feels like they die, or that they're about to die, or they get to experience the feeling of death If you coming, can make them feel uncomfortable. Sure. But then would they come back? Well, I think if it's a cabaret, maybe you would have to loop it around and make it funny at the end. Mm. Like, maybe you would have to, you'd have to kill everybody and then have a number that takes place in heaven afterwards and you have an idea of what it tastes like to eat food in heaven. That's not bad. That's good. It's something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I saw the menu. Right, great. It is what this all boils down to. Okay, fantastic. Well, why don't you rate your week slash the menu? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> if the timestamp thing worked correctly, you should be rejoining us now. Just in time to catch James's rating. Hello. Or, I did no such editing. Here's <laughs> Jake editing in a, f- a fun sound effect. You cannot control me like Whoa, this. Whoa, <laughs> wasn't that fun though? Um, I give my week and the menu. Go on. Seven stars. Uh-huh. Because there are seven days in the week. Yep. And seven feels like a like a good number. Well, the S Club agreed with you. Yoo-hoo! Oh, James, hello. Didn't hello. see you there. Hello, nice I'm parasol. A white kerchief. Ooh, a white kerchief. Mm. Flirtatious. Thank you very much. <laughs> I went to the theatre. Oh. Yes. Oh, like not the lights. In a hundred years. <laughs> not in a hundred years. <laughs> I don't know, Jake. Okay. No, no. Completing sentences takes a level of gumption. That have perhaps... you done that? Have I done? 
Not in a hundred years have you done that. Oh, that's not how conversations No, work. it's not. <laughs> I'm going to give you a teaser of my sentence. Then <laughs> finish it later on. Out of the blue. <laughs> so you went to the theatre. I did, I went. And I went to see Outlier by Marcus Bateson. Okay. Great. Uh, Tell me about that. Okay. <laughs> Where was you it? You know what? Okay, I'll I will. listen to you. I went to the meat market to see it. Oh, he loves himself some meat. I do. Was it the stables? I'm or? a beef fiend. Yes, the stables. Oh, I'm a beef fiend. Beef yes, uh, yeah. Full disclosure. There's a bunch of full disclosure to get through. I'm pals with Gavin Roach, who directed it. Mm. We both met Marcus Bateson. Who's lovely. But he's great. Mm. What a dreamboat of what a man. A dream. yeah. Yes, Irish guy. Um, was in town to see this play. Tall and handsome. Sure, yeah. And it, um, yes. And he, <laughs> I'm not getting flustered. Mm. And he um, was, because the last time the show, is, if my conversation with him is retained correctly in my mind. Jesus it's, Christ. What? Sorry, you'd fall apart. <laughs> I'm not. The, talking about a man. <laughs> the first time it happened, it had to happen in some sort of like, like, offish kind of way because of like COVID stuff like it wasn't a fully fledged realisation of what he intended so you say it was an outlier I don't think you have a full grasp on what an outlier is it's a deceptive homosexual is what an outlier is someone that's out of the closet and he's lying what about an outlier (laughs) to be clear (laughs) I may have confused things it's spelled O-U-T-L-I-E-R not pronounced outlier which is a three-woman show where three women try to out-King Lear themselves. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. They're competing Shut to be the King Lear. Shut the fuck up and read your Which, of course, is not a real show, but you're welcome to do it if you want. <laughs> what about Liza? I feel like you didn't react to my Liza. Oh, that's impression. what you said? Yeah. I just thought you were making Liza Minnelli sounds. Oh, I'm glad it translated as Liza Minnelli. Of course. Yeah, I know what your Liza Minnelli sounds You like. can't see my hands. No. <laughs> but I can see that face you make. Oh, it's a, it's a bit of a strokey face. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Which, of course, we're leaving in. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so Jonathan Schilling plays the... It's a one-man show, and Jonathan Schilling is the man that's in the show. Cool. Also, perhaps the loudest, full disclosure, Sebastiano Pitruzzello, assistant directed the piece. Oh, great. Friend of the pod. Yes. <laughs> Connor Dariol's podcast. Yes, that's why I brought it up. Ah, fantastic. Yes, so Sebastiano, assistant directed, and I sat next to him while we watched the show. Oh, how were you coping? Ah, oh, it was the best. <laughs> <laughs> So we sat there and it happened. And so, yeah, the story unfolds. He has an Irish accent because it takes place in Ireland, which I clarified with Marcus because I'm bad at differentiating between different places in Europe. <laughs> yeah, okay. In reality, you on globes and via accents. <laughs> in... Okay, sure. So if I said, like, Ireland, you wouldn't be able to spot it on a map? Is that what you're saying? Um, I could get, like, a ballpark situation happening. I would, of course, if you wanted me to describe things about Ireland, I would confuse it with Scotland. If you remember when I was going to Edinburgh, I thought I was yeah. going to Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was no. not. No, that's okay. <laughs> um, You're stupid. I'm never certain of where P.S. I Love You partially takes place. Does I'm... she go to Ireland to find that guy that looks just like Jared Butler? Or does she go to Scotland to do that? You could... I think she goes to Ireland, <laughs> but I cannot be certain. <laughs> you could say anything to me right now and I would just say yes. <laughs> I, I'm not sure about you, any of these things. You haven't thoroughly swanked? Ew. <laughs> no. By which I mean indulged in Hillary Swank's. Oh no no no! I have thoroughly masturbated whilst while um whilst what's that? Hillary Swank. Yeah. You're nah. trying to make some sort of clever fusion of. Swank I was and Swank. yeah, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it in time. I'm tired. Hillary Swank's debation. Not really clever. Just I had a Hillary Swank. I saw Outlier. <laughs> Did you? Yes. Marcus Bateson wrote it, and yeah. So it's the story of this guy telling this story to us. 
And it's like, to summarize it, it's kind of like him retelling the experience of finding a guy on Grindr because he feels kind of lonely one night, goes to a park because they can't really find anywhere else to go and have sex. Hot. They meet up in the park. He's not super- Hot. (laughs) Yes! They meet up in the park. Um, sexual stuff starts happening. Hot. And then the, the, that's where like the story telling itself kind of splinters in the way that like, in the way that it's like, he tells us the story that he tells his friends, which is one of kind of like a confusing, vaguely sexy experience in a park. And then he shares with us as well, kind of like his personal private, like quite devastating version of the story where he didn't want to go through with the sexual escapade uh. once he sort of like saw the man and, you know, took in the full sort of emotional consequences of what he was doing there. Oh, that's sad. Super duper sad. Mm. And then, yeah, going down the line of thinking that, of course, follows that. And sorry, the trigger warning, this is dark, like dark content, I suppose. Quack, quack. Quack, so, quack. <laughs> quack, quack. <laughs> that's a, a warning quack for any of you out there. Just get the head. Hong Kong. Hong Kong. That's a goose. That's a goose who doesn't like sexual abuse. It's the sexual abuse goose. Yes. Yeah, so, Hong Kong. <laughs> Hopefully not re- re- returning <laughs> not character. I think he's coming back. <laughs> I think that's your goose. Hong, hong. Oh you shit, can... what's that? <laughs> hong, hong. Oh god, he's coming. God, wait. No, no, because he's coming to warn you about... Oh, it's a trigger warning. Oh good, I thought oh, my god, yeah, I should time. clarify. No, no, yes. quack, quack. Quack, quack. Carry on. <laughs> I'd be surprised if that's all left in. I hope that goose doesn't have a dark side, quack, quack. Just to catch that's you up. That's really funny. That's really funny. Hong, hong. Hong, hong. Uh, no, that's now. No, I think you should be like our general trigger warning goose. Yeah, that's fine because there's no reason the trigger warnings have to be ominous. No, it's a trigger warning. It's a friendly thing. It it's is. Like, hey, buddy. Oh, by the way, honk honk. <laughs> Skip ahead if you need to. There you go. Um, <laughs> and Jacob put a timestamp in here. Absolutely won't. You cannot. Just, <laughs> I'm not your puppet. <laughs> oh my god, is that thunder? Um, but then yeah, went into this like for me at least a very sort of like familiar chain of thinking of like having that experience happen to you. And of course, this the thing that happens between him and this man is very much the case of something that's, like I think, quite tragically familiar, especially to like gay men, at least is my understanding. Mm. I'm only a gay man, so I don't... <laughs> You're first... barely a gay man. <laughs> <laughs> honk, honk, that was a... You cannot just throw honk, honks <laughs> around. <laughs> it suddenly is very loaded. <laughs> yeah, all right, I'm stopping. I, I retract my honk, honk. That's very decent of you. Thank you. Um, but that thing of like not being potentially like super into something that's happening sexually or just sort of permitting yourself to, I don't know, letting someone else use you for their kind of sexual sexual gratification oh, yeah. and not for whatever reason speaking up and sort of putting a stop to things or voicing yeah. like discomfort or whatever you know to whatever level that exists yeah. and then that sort of like dark cyclone of thoughts that follows where it's like is it my fault this has happened and and did I let that happen to me for a reason mm. and like am I the sort of person that this should happen to or does happen like that those yeah, things that horrible and, pipeline yeah and and yeah the, the, the language especially then was like especially sort of like strong and miserable like yeah and that's the thing like one of the largest things that I came out of this show thinking about was the strength of the text and um and the opportunities that it gives to an actor and and yeah and the work that Jonathan did was fantastic Mm. and yeah the desire yeah it was a sort of text that got me excited to and this was before I had met Marcus so this isn't Necessarily coloured by thinking he's great. Um, Even though that is colouring everything you've ever said about him. That's now. why we declare all these biases up front. Yes. <laughs> um, tweet, tweet. That's the declaring biases tweety bird. <laughs> <laughs> tweet, tweet. 
I <laughs> gonna put it on a mug. Get really merch. Crowded, really merch. It's a really crowded aviary you're constructing. Yes. <laughs> I'm allergic to birds. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, the the, the way that the, the the text presents so many opportunities to like you can even while watching it, I was like mentally like recasting it in moments of being like, how would this person have done this? How would this person wow. have done this? Especially when like running through a roller decks of like really strong gay man performers that mm. I know. It's like is that sort of text where it offers you so many chances to to play the thing differently. Oh, that's a fun text. Yeah, it was yeah. fun for that reason. Um, but to... <laughs> sorry. That's but, fun. You know, but to take a turn quickly. Um, the idea of... So, like, the story itself kind of only exists because of the existence of Grinder, mm. And uh, throughout all these Midsummer shows, and through many other gay tales of the last decade or so, so many of the things that happen in the stories wouldn't happen if Grinder didn't exist. Yeah, isn't that scary? Why is it scary to you? No, I think it's just like Grinder is a catalyst for a lot of queer drama, like it just, well dating like apps on in stage general. drama, or you mean life drama? Life drama, and so therefore it would influence stage drama. Mm-hmm. I think it only makes sense. Like I think so much gay life is spent on dating apps, and yeah. I think it makes it, it makes sense because it connects us in a way that we've never been connected before. Mm-hmm. And so I think it only it only to me makes sense that these things are bleeding into theatre. Because I think Grindr is like a weird little sort of cross-section of the queer world just sort of laid out bare. It's like if you sort of put the queer world into binary, I think it would just be Grindr. Into binary? Oh, like if binary If you were to code. render it into code, oh, okay. we would all just be Grindr. Sorry, everyone keeps trying to make me talk about gender, and so whenever you say binary, I don't think code. What I is think... gender, Jake? I don't have time to explain it to you now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we turned it around. Well done. Um... <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I think I, I, I like seeing Grinder in stage. Yeah? Yeah, I do. For I that do. reason, because it reminds you of the way that it's gay life on Well, I think yeah, I think there's just so many interactions in gay life day to day nowadays that are online and are in social media and dating apps and Grinder in particular for gay men. Yeah. Um it, I think it would be weird if it wasn't. Yeah. Because so much of definitely so much of my life has been spent on Grinder. Sure. It certainly um because I'm ignoring the part of my brain that is it always does that thing where it's like the same resentment that I think we've talked about before when people are like, I hate when I'm watching a movie and there are text bubbles from mobile phones and the way that that makes, makes people like frustrated, which I understand. That's, sure. What? Yeah. I, I think it, do you, would you rather them just see, would you rather see the phone? What would you prefer? Like <laughs> texts happen. No, that's, <laughs> texts do happen. Texts happen. And they affect our lives. And they're going to have to be represented somehow visually on the screen. Absolutely. It's like that, or maybe they're like, what if in the middle of like a really naturalistic scene, like they just turn to the camera and they just put their phone up to it so you can see the text? Is this suggestion in aid of anything specific? No. Nope. No, that's just a proposition. How's that for an idea? That's a great provocation. Thanks, Jake. I hope Guillermo del Toro takes that on board. Oh, Guillermo, if you're listening. If you're listening. Mm, what do you want to say to Guillermo? I love him! Okay. Well, I didn't like Shape of Water. So I didn't like been... Pinocchio. <laughs> Take that, Guillermo. So what? <laughs> um, yeah, but, yeah, no, so I always try to ignore that voice in my head that's like a, like a stodgy traditionalist that's like, why am I looking at a phone while I'm watching a movie? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Um, so, yeah, so ignoring that isn't even a criticism. It's just like a, a stepping stone on the in the direction toward the question of what would... It'd be like if Grindr had never become a thing. Well, now when you say that, do you mean like Grindr or do you mean like, I assume you mean like, like all, dating apps Yeah, like there were that. no way for like yep. gay men, like talking specifically about gay men, if there were no way for them to find each other with this gay Pokedex. I don't think, I don't think I personally as James could imagine a world like that. Because you don't have an imagination. Because, uh, Is that why? I don't know why you can't imagine No, that. because I don't, I just think if that world existed... It would have to be in the past because 
the internet does exist and that's gonna happen. Okay. I don't I think if Grindr didn't exist, something else would step forward, you know? I just I think I I can't imagine a world today mm-hmm. where there's not some sort of platform like that for queer people to sort of meet and and get to know each other and have sex. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that's but what would that... I, can't, I don't know. I, I can't imagine what that would look like. I guess I just wished that you were going to say, it'd be like you'd just walk down the street and you'd see a man with a moustache and you'd be like, hello, and he'd be like, my name is Garth. And then you fall in love. <laughs> but that, I don't think that would happen, Jake. <laughs> Have you no. seen the world we live in? And then you could vividly describe that world. I could dive into it. And then that would be my Thursday. Okay, do you want to do this again? We'll do like a brief play-by-play of how that would go. go no, on. no, that's ask, okay. Ask the question. So, James, what would life be like if Grinder had never been created? Oh, well, I could walk down the street and I'd see a handsome man with a mustache and mm. I'd say, hello, and he'd say, fuck off! And oh, I'd say, God. okay, all right, that's fine. And then I'd go home and masturbate and cry. Because was he a, like a heterosexual man that was homophobically afraid of you? Potentially, or just a, just a regular man that hated gays. <laughs> so, yeah, what you said. Okay. I just yeah. I, I go back to my original thing of I just I can't. I don't think we can imagine that world. If anymore. we have technology, we yeah. have a technological way to find men to have sex. With. And it's and that's exactly right. If there's gonna be a way to find men to have sex with, I'm gonna find that mm-hmm. way to have sex with men. You know. <laughs> oh, okay. So this is coming back to your your first. Hundred <laughs> percent. Always. Yes. It's an underlying and drive I have for everything. Sure. And as long as there's men like you in Silicon Valley, we will have things like Grinder. Silicon Valley is not where they mine silicon, which I learned recently. I used to think it was a place in Los Angeles where they did lots of plastic surgery. That's a much that makes more sense to believe though than yep, yeah, that that's smart. Because do they mine silicon? No, well, I don't know if silicon's a naturally occurring thing. I think it is. Right. Because it's one of the it's in like it's I think it's like the first eighty of the elements on the periodic table occur naturally. And right. everything beyond that number is artificially created. Hydrogen, helium, lithium, beryllium, We cannot okay. listen to you right, sing no, the whole fine. periodic table. That's okay. James. <laughs> Did you know that at the moment there's like eight elements they haven't named yet? That's exciting. Isn't it? Is one of them the element of surprise? I also oh. went to the theatre. Oh my. <laughs> I can't tell if you're a pirate or a fancy old man. I've been alive pirates. I saw a show. Oh. Improv comedy is what I saw. Oh, great. It was comedians doing improv comedy, Jake. Okay, fantastic. Second time I've gone to see an improv comedy group alone. Uh-huh. <laughs> was it the same group? Do they know you're alone? No, thank God. Different group. They'd right. all be laughing at me. Um, <laughs> but instead it was I who was laughing at them. Oh, mockingly or... No, because they're doing comedy. Oh, in celebration so of the comedic sense. efforts. Yes. Um, I, I went to see the remix. Great. The Sorry, the... R- 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 Remix. Oh, right. You like that? I Look, I, <laughs> I appreciated the effort. Continue. Okay. Uh, so I went to the Improv Conspiracy Theatre. Uh-huh. Um, which is like an independently owned and run in like improv group that exists in Melbourne, which is exciting. Okay. In like the heart of the CBD. You're like, saying the venue is independently owned? Like the venue is, indep- like the, at least, yeah, the, <laughs> the theatre, the Improv Conspiracy Theatre is like, it's their theatre. Right, cool. And yeah, the yeah. Improv Conspiracy that do this show that I saw are in there forever which I just think is very cool yeah that's amazing um, so the remix is a thing that they've been doing for a while mm-hmm. um, I have never seen it before this but I think I want to go along and see it again um, it's been going since 2013 the remix okay 
Which I just think is a fun fact. Sure. So well, I don't know what it is, so I'm excited. I'm getting <laughs> there. No, but it's like if you tell me that's like a, like a making competition, then it's like, oh, that is surprising. No, I just think it's a, it's nice to know that there's been a, any sort of theatrical thing running that long in Melbourne is always nice to yeah, hear. Yeah, that's a goddamn decade. Right? Uh, <laughs> shit, that is a decade. Yeah. Yeah, someone said something happened in 2015 the other day, and I was like, oh, that was last week. It's like, no. No, no. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> that aside... Um, so the remix is, uh, the way it works is they get their improv comedians up and they have a guest speaker that will come on and speak about, it's usually like some, uh, like celebrity or other comedian or someone. This is and the premise of what the remix is. This is the premise of what the remix is in okay. general. Yeah. Um, and they will come up and they will sort of tell some stories about their life mm-hmm. or there'll be like a certain topic that we're speaking about for that show and they'll tell stories about that. Mm-hmm. And then the comedians take elements from the stories that they've just told and do like improv comedy based on that cool which i think is a fun way to sort of like do improv comedy Uh uh-huh um so this time it's midsummer so stories from queer people about like not just queer experiences but also just like their experiences going through life as a queer person sure um so that was nice the night that i went it was mitch mctaggart who um is a a, like a writer and like a, a queer person who, who also works on the show The Backside of Television, which is like a, like a, it's on HBO, no, not HBO, it's on Binge. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm falling apart. My brain is collapsing in on itself. Everyone's along for the ride. Um, uh, where you, he basically reviews like the, the most outlandish and funniest and stupidest parts of Australian television in the past year. Okay. So that's who the person was getting up and doing the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and he seems like, he seems like a really lovely person, first of all, which right. I just want to say, Mitch, you seem great. Um, now, I need to get something out of the way immediately. Oh, no. I don't know the names of two of the performers in this crew that I saw. Okay. And I don't know if the names were posted somewhere in the foyer very clearly for everyone to see, and I just missed them. Mm-hmm. But I worked so hard to try and find the names of these performers. Uh-huh. I, like, I went through the list of performers on the page. There's, like, 60 of the fuckers. And I, I, I tracked them all down. I, I couldn't find two of them. So okay. the two of you that I couldn't find, I'm so sorry, but I have really good memories of you, and you were very funny. Uh, so, the first story that Mitch gets up and tells uh, is about um, Chapel Street. Okay, and I'm being, familiar. You're familiar. We're very close to Chapel Street right now. Huh? <laughs> Don't dox me. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> what if I just said... No, no. <laughs> um, so, he, he tells... like He told this... First of all, Mitch is a very like engaging and very fun storyteller in a way that's like oh you're just a man telling a good story and not someone that thinks you're telling a good story okay you know what i mean sure i think so like there's no element of i'm gonna tell the most amazing story it's just here's something that happened to me and i happen to be good at telling stories okay so that was nice yep so he tells a story about going to a um uh a shop on chapel street to buy some clothes and being invited upstairs to like a fancy dinner that they're doing at the clothes shop and and then the whole the Honestly, the funniest part of the night was Mitch doing this one story. But um, the whole night that he was going to this event, he had to sort of unpack in his mind and sort of weigh up whether it was, is it just a dinner or is it a weird Chapel Street orgy? Like, they're very realistic. Like, either of them could happen. Yes. And, like, each time he sort of thought about it, he was swayed to one way or the other. So then he told that story. He, he went on, I won't spoil the ending of the story, mm-hmm. obviously. <laughs> um, but and then the, the six improv comedians get up and tell their version of that story. Yep. And these performers were so good. I mean, uh, Laura Josephine. Uh, just someone who had the energy of any character she started to inhabit was the biggest 
and the most sexual character in the room. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love... Um, the, so the first... The, the, they sort of jumped on that story and the first skit they did was obviously like... It was a weird sort of family gathering, but someone wasn't quite sure if maybe it could be an orgy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Laura Josephine just immediately comes on as like just a bimbo sexy nurse. Right. Which is terrific. And then in like another story later on, she comes on as like this horrifying, still sexually charged um, uh, uh, janitor on this ferry. And she's got like this weird sea captain's voice, but she's still really horny. Right. And just constantly. I feel like a boat could really make you horny. Oh, something about the way it moves, baby. The rocking, the the trappedness, you know? We're at sea. Somehow it feels like the rules aren't rules. The rules aren't rules, and we're all gonna die in in, like a big swell, so let's fuck. Uh, Is my experience of boats. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Could you stop kissing my leg? Ma'am, we're gonna die any moment. Let it happen. Taylor Griffiths was also really good in the first skit in particular for me. She played this, like, big butch lesbian police officer. Uh-huh. She just comes on and just has this gravitas of someone... Like, you know, like, performers that just come on and they just command the space just by existing? Okay. That's Taylor. Um, and I'm really excited to see her in more things, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, sidebar, I'm jumping around a whole bunch Go here. Ahead. If you were on this show... Yeah. And you had to tell a story. Let's say it's in Midsummer because that's what we're doing. Yeah. Um, what story would you tell? It needs to be something that's not too long. Mm-hmm. It needs to be something that could inspire sketch comedians. <laughs> and it needs to be vaguely gay or vaguely like a queer experience. God. If, if you had one story. I can like go on and explain some more of this stuff while you think about it if there you want. There is a lot of criteria to tick the boxes mm. off. Um, I cannot guarantee you that I'll think of something. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Do you want mm-hmm. some time? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll just say that I, I explained this to you. The other day, me and beautiful British Johnny went to a beat accidentally. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, talk about that, Jack. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we were just like, we were sitting in the park drinking rosé, Kylie Minogue's rosé, <laughs> out of Yochi cups. And then this man emerged from the bushes and was like, do you know, do you guys know what's happening over there? Oh, Needless God. to say, he then described what the beat was. <laughs> mm. And then Johnny and I clutched hands like we were going into that forest in The Wizard of Oz and just like walked around and just like watch, watched all the gay men engaging in what gay men love to do. But you saw a bunch of sex happen. A bunch of park sex. My God, that's fun. And also men coming and going. Don't make puns okay. out of it. No, 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 no. You should have just said going. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> yes, but yeah, no. So that's that's the best I have for you is witnessing a beat That's a action. That's a pretty good story. I think comedians could do a lot with that. I think so too. It provides a lot of ensemble options. Yes. You know, you can play different characters. Physical comedy. Uh, I imagine. I imagine beats are hilarious. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Is my understanding of them. Because, yes, we just passed through a number of times and then left in a scurry. That's really funny. The fact that you didn't even join in. Not this time. Oh. Uh, 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 uh. Well, that's a good one. I think that's a good one. Okay. Um, Thank you for approving. You're um, welcome. <laughs> go ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the next story he told was this one about being invited to a party by, like, this... Not quite a sugar daddy, but like this sort of person who was involved in Australian television. uh, And he sort of remained nameless Mm -hmm. in a way that suggests he's some sort of celebrity that people would know. It's obviously Dr. Carl from Neighbours. I don't know who that is. I've never seen Neighbours. God. (laughs) But I I think it very much had something to do with Mm Neighbours. So that's funny that you mentioned that. Um, But he was connected and he wanted to like get Mitch McTaggart connected as well. As, like, a favour to see how powerful he was. Okay. And so Mitch was sort of, like, left 
in the room, in this party, with this woman who he called the most powerful woman in Australian television. Do you know who that might be? Because I've got no idea. Not Tracy Grimshaw. I don't know. I don't know. Most powerful... Carrie Bickmore? Most powerful woman in television. I don't know. In Australian television. In Australian television. So you let that stew in your mind. But he basically was just left in a conversation with this woman that he absolutely blew the entire conversation just by being unable to converse with this lady. Because of being intimidated by her. I assume he didn't really say. Um, but yes, yeah, so that was the second story. Uh, what would the job of the like the woman? Like, I, I assume, assume she's a producer talent. of some. No, I presume. I presume. But then why she's is he so intimidated by her? I d- if I met a producer, I wouldn't be like, oh, I don't know how to talk to you. But if yeah, I like, met if, Naomi if you knew Rossi, she was like the biggest person in Australian television, you'd probably be a bit intimidated. Not if I didn't know her face. Like I think it's the face. I think it's because like, oh, if I ran into Carrie Bickmore. No, I've, I've spoken to Carrie Bickmore. I've, I've spoken to Carrie Bickmore as well. I think, no, I always get starstruck by very confusing people. <laughs> I, yeah, no, but that's why I'm trying to figure, like, who, who's a woman on Australian television that's like... Mitch, let us know. Yeah. Um, the third story he told was um, making, is that basically he, like, recorded this version of a GPS for his sister. Okay. In his own voice. Back in the day when GPS voices were new and big. Yeah. And it was just, like, every single thing that you could do in the GPS. <clears throat> was the most dirty and disgusting, fucked up thing he could think of to say. Uh-huh. And the story just ended up being like, his sister gave her parents a lift, and he just kept saying naughty things on the GPS. That's fine. But I thought they were all, they were really concise, good stories for comedians to work with. Hmm. And they did. Um, Jaden Masuli as well. Oh, yeah, they're great. Yeah, Jayden. magnificent. I've never seen him perform in anything. Cool. I now want to see him perform in lots of things. <laughs> really. <laughs> really flip-flopped. That's flip-flopped good. around. <laughs> Fun energy. As well as um, uh, Tom Burton, who did the voice of a dialysis machine like it was a GPS at one point. I think that was a very funny bit to include. That sounds touching. It was really, it was more harrowing, but it was great. <laughs> um, yeah, so if you get a chance to go along and see the remix. Because it's just going to happen for the rest of time, I Yeah, guess. from what I can tell, they do it from what seems to be like every month or so, I think they do like a oh, remix. Sure. But they just did like several of them for uh, Midsummer. Cool. As a special. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I, yeah, I really am keen to go along and see more of them. Hey, Goofus. 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 I like that. Goofy Doofus. Yeah, it's a good combo. Thank you. <laughs> Hello. Hi, how's it going? Same as last five minutes. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so I went to the theatre. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah, I went to see Cult. I saw Cult by Ryan Henry. Great. Where was Cult by Ryan Henry at? It was in the stables at Meat Market. Are you familiar with it? I've heard of it. Yeah. Yes, I have recently talked about he it. He loves his meat. Ha ha ha. You know, recall. Mm-hmm. And, I yes, understand. Uh, yes. So, yes, I was there. I was sitting next to Sebastiano Petruzzello. He's Italian. Great. Great. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we were watching Ryan Henry do Cult. So he, like, wrote it, sort of directed it himself and is in it. I think it's all very much the brainchild of Ryan Henry, who, full disclosure, of course... Pal of mine, he's fantastic. He was in Grass. Yes. You remember Grass? It was yep. like the two-hander, and they mm-hmm. played all the characters at the high school reunion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I remember you talk, You remember you speaking about Ryan Henry a lot. Ah, uh, sure. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, this piece was him on stage with a bunch of, like, exercise equipment around him and, like, a, a couple of, like, little podiums for wheatgrass shots to be on because the show itself was about, like, body image in the gay community and fitness and the toxicity of it and the cult idea of it comes from this sort of this gym that he joins in the midst of the show 
and the cultish nature of that mindset. Oh sure, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah and even go- yeah, I don't, I don't know. And it, yeah, it was like just to like cut to the final response from me vaguely. It was like very affecting and very like managed to say, as I said to Ryan right afterwards, it was like with you know, <laughs> I certainly feel like we all kind of agree that body image and like body dysmorphia and like eating disorders are very tried and tested thoroughly depicted they've tales. definitely been used for theatrical gain a lot yeah a lot on stage even more on screen like mm. it's, a, it's a very familiar thing to be exploring so the fact that what the, he managed to say new really like contemporary interesting things about it and the way that it connected to the gay experience especially and i came out of it really being like invigorated in the way that it like it being part of midsummer was so exciting to me because it feels and and felt so contemporary and spoke directly to the moment you know oh like it was about being gay right now and that's part of what i think is really important and exciting about midsummer yeah absolutely the constant updating of the gay repertoire sure Mm. (laughs) yeah that's a sentence yeah Yeah, it makes sense yeah my (laughs) heart does um but yeah no it was beautiful the whole thing was like very like sweaty and very impressive that ryan got through it the way he did because he was pretty much like exercising the entire time oh my god it sort of begins with him talking as his character in this show to his reflection, who is this like, like <laughs> fat shaming, self-loathing, well, I guess not self-loathing because they're their own sort of being, but like he embodies both his critical reflection mm. and also himself as this character wow. who has recently gone through a breakup that was seemingly born of his boyfriend, now ex-boyfriend, deeming him too like unfit like physically oh. to be his boyfriend anymore. And like an ongoing thing through the piece is talking about the idea of the top tier gays, which is a term that oh. you said to me. I definitely, I think I've, I've, I've not said top tier gays. I think I've definitely said uh, the gay elite. The gay, that's what yeah. you said. Yeah, yeah, I yes. said gay elite. Yes. Um, so yeah, that was a thing that got like, quite oh, well explained. Oh, I wish I saw this. Oh my God, yeah. I wish you did too. Because yeah. Like, yeah, you certainly would have, I'd say yeah, certainly a bunch would have resonated and felt very like, I don't know, darkly familiar. Quite quick. Uh, yeah, because like an ongoing thing throughout the piece was this idea that there are these like this type of gay man that mm-hmm. is the optimal type to be, mm-hmm. and the the, the, the description puffed off. <laughs> yes, yeah. like, terrifying and shiny. They and... have boring bank jobs. <laughs> they wear suits during the day, and then they wear their gym clothes at night, and that's <laughs> it. I saw a bunch of them. I talk about them like they're a different species. They but are a bunch of like very fit gay men walking around the street. Today? Was that today? Yes, it was while I was going to the train station. You tell me, Jack. They were walking. <laughs> you could say any day and I'd believe They you. were in like tiny shorts, really tight singlets and going to some sort of gathering. I think it was some sort of like daytime club dance thing. Are they doing a silent disco? No, they weren't doing a silent disco. I would not have been as intimidated by them if they were doing a silent yeah. disco. Um, <laughs> not that silent discos are just for stupid people. No one's saying Sounds that. Sounds like Jake's saying they're for no, stupid people, No, my guys. sister had a very good time. My friend Olivia had a very good time at her my silent mom disco. A silent disco. Look, see, there are some good women out there who love a silent disco. And but, only. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Yeah, so this like gaggle of like fit men in their 30s was going to some sort of like daytime disco in their like, very tight clothing. Mm. And part of me, somehow the first thought I had was like, God, I wish that instead of like super sexual, very revealing clothes, something about the gay experience required us in order to dress with the, you know, capital P pride that we wish to express Mm. would be something more witchy. Oh my God, isn't that right? Like something a bit more, a bit more showy, something a bit more (laughs) spooky, something a bit more like... We're here, we're queer, we're terrifying. Yes. You know? Like, make yes. it a statement. Oh my god, Oh yes. my god. I Every wish... time oh. I see an outfit like that, I... First of all, I feel a weird mix of, like, jealousy, resentment, 
and understanding of homophobia. Like, there's, <laughs> oh my a, God, there's a lot of that going on in my brain. when I. That's me. That's my brain. That's my you, problem. It makes you understand. Is that just a joke you're saying? That's a joke I'm saying, Jake. I oh, never okay. understand homophobia, but okay. I do understand that gay people can be a... Particularly gay... Gay men can be, including me, can be can be an, just annoying. Oh, just sure. so annoying, <laughs> and and not on and 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 not on. You know, not it's not on. They're not on it. Sure, yeah, yeah. It if they're not on it. He, uh, so when Ryan went about describing top tier gays, yeah, um, I want to hear this very succinctly. He just kind of like listed different examples of the notion, and the one that got the most laughs out of everybody was Sydney gays if you live in Melbourne. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. That's funny. That yeah, got, I, that I got the biggest laughs that. of the evenings. That's yes. really funny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that echelon of men that are just that. And yeah, and that's the thing. It was just like, it was almost like, and this makes it sound dull, but it absolutely wasn't. It was engaging the entire time. It almost felt like, the to the degree with which he was like saying very intelligent, developed, succinct things with such rapidness... It was like, it felt almost like an essay in like contemporary gay studies or something. Oh, great. The way that he also talked about this notion that, yeah, he put really, really well this idea that there seems to be this understanding in the gay community, amongst men at least, where it's like, before you can be anything else, you have to be hot first. Otherwise, anything yep. you do, you should do apologetically. 100%. Yeah. 100%. I found that especially like, oh, oh we're yeah. saying this out loud now. That's cool. That's absolutely what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The whole thing was just super duper impressive, I thought. Uh, I just want to say Ashley Basham and Justin Heaton did amazing work with the lights. Just in the sure. way that like that, the, the lighting is what punctuated so many of like the beautiful stage moments and conveyed so many fantastic ideas in, in ways that didn't require text, which I think is a, a really impressive oh. thing to accomplish mm. with lights, you know? Um, in the same way, like it, it somehow it, it mirrored for me the effectiveness of remember, like when we, like Gun Dog and mm. Harry Hogan did that lighting that helped us understand yep. when time travel was happening. Yep. Oh, like, good. Some well placed lighting done well. Yeah. That's always good. My yeah. Mind. No. And I think it elevates theatre to the next level because that's one of the core elements of a theatre piece. It's the lighting. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. If the lighting's not doing something cool, it's like I don't know being a tortoise with only three legs. Is the analogy I went with? I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it, and I think that's just me. <laughs> sure. So that's fine. I'm glad that you're blindly willing to think. Oh, that oh, must have been genius. I've, got, I'm I've just gotten lost. used to the fact that I'm a dumb idiot. Like that's what I'm ready to go with. Sure. Um. But uh, yeah, there's a, and one such a moment was the this moment that happened like after a real like a few minutes or so of real frantic flurry. Ryan's left by himself in this sudden silence in front of this mirror in this stark lighting state, and you're you're just like left in the miserable like distress and melancholy and mm. misery of where he is with himself yeah. and like the voices in his head have shut off all the the, the 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 gym equipment is no longer being used all of the enthusiastic music is gone and he's just like left with himself in the mirror oh. and it was just it was like a really like that sounds like a devastating moment yeah really like yeah moving and fragile and yeah Something quite, yeah. It was a really, really striking moment. I thought, uh, yeah. And I also just want to like, yeah, credit it with credit it with one other thing. Um, I mean, it's all the other things that it deserves applause for. It was also like it managed to be about body image and about body dysmorphia and about eating disorders and like uh, like fitness addiction, whatever, like all these things. Mm. But it's <laughs> part of what was so intelligent about what it accomplished was it didn't spit you out with an eating disorder. Like it didn't glamorize all these things, even in it's like in a, in a faux attempt to criticize these things. It didn't leave you 
with this desire to undertake the things that Ryan just exemplified for you. Well, that's good. Right? Like, yeah. unlike one of the criticisms of, of Portia de Rossi's memoir that she wrote about her, like, experience with bulimia and anorexia. Was Portia it, de Rossi is married to Ellen DeGeneres. Portia de Rossi is married to Ellen DeGeneres yes. and her, she's had body image issues throughout a lot of her career. Mm. And, uh, um, and, and a lot of people read her memoir that was largely about her struggle with her eating disorder. Mm. And it came across that she was, like, seemingly very, like, proud and boasty of the things that she accomplished in, or in like in her pursuit of like thinness. Oh God! And it, yeah, it damaged a lot of people. Um, Portia, p- come on, Portia. Portia, Portia. step up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but the, the, that sounds like a fine line to walk. Absolutely, and, mm. it, and it's a real credit to Ryan and his writing and his performance ability and his intelligence as an as an artist to be like by the end he'd interrogated these themes enough to get you to the point where where you were with him in kind of like. The, the you know the revelations he was having those that are surrounding him and yeah one of the really memorable things that he said in the piece was that with this pursuit of being one of these top tier homosexuals like there's always going to be someone above you and this idea too that like if you stop climbing you start falling oh god yeah, that, yeah. And that's the thing once you start you need to keep going mm. and like to maintain those sort of gym bodies it's like that becomes your life sure yeah like that becomes it and then what have you got a hot body, cool friends, access to anything you want. <laughs> Fuck them. Sorry, I get really angry about them. No, I can see that. Do you have any other thoughts about the fitness in the gay community? The superficiality of it all? No, nothing that you haven't already said. Like, mm-hmm. I think it sounds like the show was written for me to watch and agree with. That's the thing. It was nice to see something that felt like it was written for the audience that was coming to it. Yeah. No, it yeah. super, sounds super refreshing to see that take as well. Hmm. Um... Yeah, no, I would just reiterate everything that it sounds like Ryan has already said. Mm-hmm. So, kudos to Ryan. Yeah. Because I hate the gear, the gay elite. I don't think it should exist. But if you were in the gay elite, would you hate it? Oh, them? no, I'd love it. I'd be having the best time. <laughs> so- I'm, 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 I'm mad enough to be able to admit that I, I would be in the gay elite and happy with it. So you did, there was a phase, is that phase still going that you fantasize about the idea oh, of Oh, I being... used to absolutely want to be on that top echelon, yes. Mm. I wanted to be the, the, not necessarily like the puffed off gays, but I wanted to be like, I wanted to be ripped. I wanted to be having like fancy types of hummus with my friends out in the back porch mm-hmm. with my like gorgeous little skinny tank tops and my beautiful clothes. But I don't think that'll ever happen for me. Why? Because I just, and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole because this is something I talk to my therapist about, but like, you know, like, I just, I I can't, I can't let myself do that for some reason. I'm not allowed to. I can't. You can't do which part? I I can't start gym. I can't do it. I can't walk myself through any sort of fitness regime. Oh, it just mentally doesn't stick. Mentally it doesn't stick. Yeah. Uh, And I also, I just don't want, I don't. Yeah, no, I don't think I deserve... I, I can't do that, no. Sure. Yeah. Where did that image that you just described of the Hamas back deck people... Where did that come from? Every time I see, like, a cool, trendy, gay elite, let's say, yeah. person on on any sort of social media, it's always, like, photos of them being, like, in the sun with their friends with hummus. Uh-huh. And you know what? On the surface, it's like, that's really great. Like, that, that is that, honestly... Because you like hummus and you No, like- I just think to be out with your friends in the sun with hummus is great. And I think, ultimately, a lot of it boils down to me being jealous of them. That's all I think it is. I think a lot of these people that I resent and, 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 and have all these furious, envious feelings about are just living their lives in a way that is just authentically them. But aren't you often outside with your friends eating hummus? No! No. Absolutely not. No, I'm very closed and withdrawn these days. That's something that I've been dealing with a lot recently. Okay. No, I have no social battery. I have no 
time to spend outside and I'd much rather stay home alone in my room. Well, so a large part of what you envy about these like top tier gays is their capacity to be social? No, I okay. think I think that, that that's a separate thing. Oh, okay. Not to do with the gay elite. Sure. I think I've let the blur, the lines blur across there. Okay. Um, sure. I'm, yeah, that's that. Cool. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Sure, that's fine. Okay, let's talk about something else. <laughs> I too saw a show. Okay. <laughs> Proudly. I'm intrigued. Go on. Um, I went on down to Theatre Works. Yeah. 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 Not the Explosives Factory. Never We've got to stop. Fa- stop. <laughs> I'm, I'm never going there. I've decided I'm never going there. That's a sensible vendetta. Um, so I went to Theatre Works. Uh-huh. Was not alone this time. Ooh. I was with my boyfriend, Flynn. Who I just learned about. Yes, you just found out about this one episode. It's very exciting news. Yes. Uh, so we went along. Uh-huh. Went on in, uh-huh. sat on down. Yes. Nothing on stage. Oh. It is completely empty. Okay. Except for one, like, like little sort of street sign that says burgers. It's <laughs> key lit by a spotlight. Okay. Is and that I, burgers written with a Z like the title? 100% it is, yes. Great. And uh, it, for some reason, it was just the completely empty space with this little tiny sign just made me feel happy. Uh-huh. I was like, this is a really nice little, I like this. <laughs> having a good time uh-huh. I can't explain why but it just did uh-huh. um, I wish I could I want to tell you about the opening but I think it's such a key part of why the op- why I, I think it's such a special moment that I don't want to spoil it cool okay so there is an opening uh-huh. that I would argue is like one of the best openings I've I've seen in a show one of the most engaging and, and immediately uh, captivating openings Ooh. um <laughs> I love to be captivated. That's nice. Um, <laughs> uh, so, but suffice to say, uh, there is a car on stage now. You figure the rest out. Oh, okay. Um, so, so there's a car. Out gets Kiki Temple, who is the performer for the show. Great. Um, she is uh, d- dressed in this fabulous, colourful jumpsuit. She's she's got her hair just made up for the gods. She looks amazing. Uh-huh. And then while this song is playing overhead. She very slowly gets out of the car, very slowly reaches back in and gets ready. She keeps like waving to us like, yeah, I know, I know. And just slowly sets up for the show, uh-huh. which is just a very fun energy to come in, I think, with. Okay. Uh, and then proceeds to sort of start recounting the, what the, what the show is going to be, which is an unpacking of... So, so the show is basically the recounting of a lived experience of the writer, um, Travis Alabanza, who is like this social, very big on social media... Um, speaking about gender and um, fighting the binary and all these very noble things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's something that I want to flag straight away is Travis Alabanza is from UK. Okay. So the show, when it was originally written, would have been a lot about like um, living in, 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 in London and sort of like the, the areas there. But it's been recontextualized to be uh, set... In Melbourne, so there's a lot of things that I'm not quite sure how much lenience they had to work with. Lenience from whom? From, I guess from Travis, because... I think part of it is in translating... I think the the upsetting thing is in translating this story... So the story is Honk Honk. Um, It's a story of like... (laughs) That was the sexual abuse goose. (laughs) It's not a sexual abuse goose. I think it's now a content warning goose. Okay. Yeah, just general content warning. Okay, it doesn't rhyme, but that's fine. Uh, (laughs) We'll come up with it later. Hong Kong. um, It's a story of of trans trauma, basically. And and, um, assault that happened on a trans person 
uh, Travis Alabanza was walking down the street and a burger was thrown at them. Um, And so the rest of the show is written as, if I can sort of understand the burger, maybe I can understand and fight the trauma. Okay. So... Understand the physical qualities of the burger yeah, itself. Yeah, in the show. We'll, we'll get into it. But <laughs> I think the, the saddest part is it's been recontextualized to be in Melbourne. Yeah. But it's told in such a way that they didn't really need to change much. It's just... It's a story that has happened to so many queer people and trans people in particular yeah. that they really didn't need to do much to make it work here. And it is something that has most likely happened to someone here. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I got called a faggot the other day. Did you? In the street. Oh, three days ago. Lucky prick, really. Lucky prick. God, I wish people would look at me. <laughs> you don't pull focus. Did you shout back? No, I was scared. <laughs> oh, you pussy. Um, <laughs> should have manned up. One day. Yeah. One day. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so yeah, the show is unpacking what made up the burger that originally hit the character in the show. Okay. And sort of understanding, she starts off with this great monologue about what's in a burger. And she speaks about, like, the bun. And she speaks about the patty. And sort of sets up this idea of... Sort of this allegory of the burger as gender binary. And she sort of talks about, like, I want you to picture a burger. And picture the bun, picture the patty. And we all know you pictured a beef burger. And this sort of uses that to get into your brain straight away of like, you, we all have these preconceived notions of what things should look like. Beef. Which translate, well, exactly. Beef. <laughs> like, I, I thought beef burger. And she was sort of like, you thought beef. And it's obviously meant to look a certain way. So obviously that translates really, really well into gender. And you look like this, you should look like that. Sure. Um, and X, Y, Z. Yeah. Um, and so... Talks about unpacking the burger and what what makes this burger that hit her. And then the rest of the show works out to be this sort of ad hoc cooking show. Mm -hmm. And they wheel out this magnificent little uh, bar that has an oven in it, that has a fridge in it, that has all of these ingredients hidden behind it. She pulls someone up from the audience Mm -hmm. and uses him to help cook the burger. Now... Audience participation is something that you and I are terrified of. Yes. Rightly so. And this moment was one... This was one of the most scary... This was the scariest audience participation moment in my life. Kiki sort of comes before us and says, I need someone to help me cook this burger. Uh, No one responds. Of course. We're all quiet. Which is what I want from an audience, honestly. Absolutely. You don't want someone to be like, oh my god, me! Yes, no, because you don't want them to do it. No. No, you want someone to be begrudgingly sort of like told to do it. Exactly. Now, I'm glad you said that. So, <laughs> we're all there thinking, shit, who's it going to be? Um, someone sort of vaguely puts a hand up because mm. no one was doing anything. Okay, a polite and, person. Well, a, a polite person of colour. Great. And Kiki says, no, it needs to be a white man. Oh, God. Which, 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 there's a reason for it later on. I imagine there would be. <laughs> she didn't just have a hankering. Um, and so then it, it's whittled down. Or just something against that one specific person. <laughs> no, it needs to be a, a, a white person. Yeah, not like any... you. <laughs> um, so that whittles the audience down to a few people. And, 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 and Flynn is sort of nudging me to put my hand up. I don't. Um, first off, why are you dating such a coward? I know. First of all, Fl- yeah, I'm breaking up with you, Flynn. It's over. It's done. We're, we're finished. And it just started. Just started today. I know, you just found out. Um, ended up pulling up this person from the front row, whose name was Matty. Okay. 
And I gotta say, mm. I'm so glad we went the night that we did because mm-hmm. Maddie was a star. What sort of in star? the best way? Okay. Maddie was just a very outlandish and out there person enough that they were able to be on stage and hold their own against Kiki, who is this literal goddess on stage with him. Okay. Um, he was wearing like this eggplant emoji t- like shirt, <laughs> be, like really handsome, like really gorgeous. Okay. Uh, and yeah, like just never. A dull moment. Like, you know when people are pulled up on stage and they just don't have anything to say? Sure. Maddie had things to say at all points. Okay. Um, <laughs> so the, the two of them then go about the business of, like, recreating this burger. And the show is sort of like this series of uh, monologues, these series of uh, lip-sync routines, and this series of sort of, like, striking moments. What does um, Matty do while all this is happening? Well, Matty's sitting at the table cooking the burger. So oh. Kiki will sort of... Kiki gave him a script and said, turn the page when I tell you and read what it says. Okay. And Maddie would sort of turn the page and read out and it would say something like, um, uh, what what box does the burger go in? What box do we need to put the burger into when it's served? And Kiki would sort of be like, does it really matter? What like I don't really care what sort of box I need to put it in. It's just a burger. Like, hmm. is it, is it going to be a burger or a hot dog? It doesn't matter. Uh-huh. And then like Maddie would then read out all these scripted lines to sort of for Kiki to bounce off of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there'll be times when they sort of be cooking with each other, and Kiki would literally say like, "Here, just fucking chop this up. And we'll put it in a burger." Um, and pull out all these ingredients for the burgers. Mm. Um. The, my favourite part, I'm just going to get out now. Yeah. Favourite part of the whole show was the beef patty. Kiki is sort of like, they've gotten a bit through the burger, they've cut the bread open, they've got like some of the ingredients prepped, then Kiki gets this meat and starts making the beef patty. And it's that it's that thing that I, I know you've experienced of like when food is involved on stage, it just takes it to this next level of, oh, this is a bit surreal. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know why it feels so strange, but... She starts cooking the beef patty and you can smell it. Mm. And then all this smoke starts filling the air. And she starts going on this monologue about um, the gender bi- like Well, the, the binary of the burgers and sort of what should it matter what burger I'm... I'm so what's the binary of burgers? Like, well, one of the po- po- questions posed is, is this going to be a burger or is this going to be a hot dog? Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, obviously an allegory for gender. Okay. Um, and she... <laughs> obviously, yes. Yeah, well, yeah. It it's just funny to say that's obvious. Yes. Well, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you not agree? <laughs> no, it's great. No, I just think it's a funny sentence. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so she goes on this sort of monologue. I can't remember all the words. <laughs> Do you want me to tell you <laughs> the entire pretty, monologue? Pretty word. Weird like if I weird did. If you did. Yes. Um, but as she goes on, she gets angrier and angrier, and she speaks faster and faster. And as she's speaking, the 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 spotlight she's in gets smokier and smokier yeah. and the flame keeps going beef, and going with beef, beef smoke. smoke yes yes Jack. beef smoke's a great word it's beef smoke oh, go on you can't beat it so <laughs> that was just a really incredible visual image the show is full of striking visual moments mm. as well which I was um uh Katie Stefkitas did the lighting mm. and fucking nailed it because yeah. there's a lot of lighting used in this show with such a minimal set and it just made so many beats of it work really fucking well um, so that was that was one of my favorite moments of the show. But another really good moment that I really like, and it was part of the reason why Matty was so good. Yeah. Uh, there was this beautiful bit where, after all this sort of like high intensity dancing and sort of angry monologues, Kiki sort of comes along and sits down at one side of the bench, and she sort of gives Matty some vegetables to chop up, and then Kiki starts chopping up some vegetables, and it's just the two of these two people on either side of a table just cooking and getting ready to put this meal together. 
And Kiki just starts asking Maddie these questions in this really grounded and authentic way. And she asks, like, have you ever been scared to go outside? Or, like, when was the last time you cried and why? And Maddie then just goes on to answer these questions very genuinely. Yeah. And, like, like, I'm not going to say them for Maddie's sake. But it just felt like it, it was so generous of, first of all, Maddie to invite us into hearing these things that they said. Yeah. Um, and just this moment between these two people on stage that was so obviously unscripted, mm. and but just seemed to feed into the story even more. It just felt really special. Yeah. Um, and that with the two of them just sitting, getting ready for dinner, mm. there was something, it just felt, it was a really magic moment that really, really worked. Um, and I, I think is a huge supporter is why I'm a huge supporter of audience participation I've changed my mind what I've come around to it I've changed my mind I'm I all for it this moment was so good yeah mm. yeah so all this to say like the the story is of the burger being thrown at Kiki yes and towards the end she sort of turns it around on the audience in this way of she sort of says to us You'll all be able to leave home, leave here tonight and go home, but I will need to change the way I look. I will need to watch behind my back and I will need to really look out for myself to go home. And that's because of you Mm. and because of the people that were around when this burger was thrown and then sort of reveals the full story of the burger, which was like this random guy threw a burger at, at, at the character. Um, and then Kiki was surrounded by these people and no one did anything. Oh. No one did. No one even looked. No one stopped to try and say, are you okay? No one tried to apprehend the man to throw the burger. And it was just this sort of moment of, shit, what would I do in that situation? And I, I, there's a little part of me that thinks, yeah, I probably wouldn't do anything. Sure. And I think, why not? Just because I'm afraid, for a bunch of reasons, like I'm afraid of conflict. When I'm out in the city, I sort of have this idea of whatever happens in there, I'm not dealing with it. It's not my problem. Yeah. Um, which I think is obviously bad, but also you got to look out for yourself. So mm. it's it's to have it turned around directly to us and to be said to like it's your fault that this was allowed to happen. It's like yeah, I guess it is. Mm. Like I don't know. Have you ever been in a situation where you've seen something horrible happen and you've stepped in to stop it? Um, that I've stepped in to stop it. Um, yeah, like now and then when someone's mm. being like weirdly aggressive on the train or something. Uh, yeah, there's been times where I've had to like say things mm. or like physically just being close to a person to make them feel safer. Yeah. Um, but there's also certainly times where I wish I'd have done something. And I think it's yeah. those times that taught me that I had to do something. Totally. Um, yeah, because I think it only took, yeah, there's just like one memorable time where someone was getting really badly spoken to at a supermarket that I was at. Like, someone mm. was speaking really, really rude. Like, this drunk guy was saying some real, like, like, heart, like, some really awful, like, anti-Semitic stuff to a Jewish guy at the supermarket. Ugh. And the the, the the Jewish gentleman was, like, handling himself really well. Not, sh- like, he shouldn't have had to, of course, mm. but he was dealing really well with the conversation and the conflict. Um, but I wish I'd come to his side yeah. more, more, like, visibly or let him know that he was, like, supported in whatever he was doing or, like... You know, or if I could help confront the shit guy. And this is the thing. I think so often I like to think that I'd be someone that would always step in. If I saw any any injustice, I'd always step in and do something. But I just don't think that's true. Sure. And yeah. and I think this show really highlighted that to me. It's like, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's people that would just allow that to happen. And that is as bad sometimes. Mm. Um, 
She's, and and one of the, a lot of the some of the lines were in the in the end were all about like this one woman that the Kiki sort of made eye contact with mm. as it happened, and the woman sort of took a moment and then broke the eye contact off and looked down and kept walking. And Kiki sort of spoke about like I wonder if she went home and cried like I did, or if she sort mm. of felt that if if this interaction would make her step up the next time, or if it would make her step down. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, because I think about that Jewish guy all the time, and he, yeah, and he's a large part of the reason. That I always will, like, I intend to always help people. Well, that's good. And also because, too, it was like being a gay person, too, is like, as I did three days ago, (laughs) you experience these sorts of, like, hateful things being thrown at you in society. And so rarely does it feel like anyone is going to step in or that they Mm. ever do. Yeah. So, yeah. So if if there's anything to take away, I guess, is to do that. Yeah, that's, yeah. Mm. It's horrible, the world we live in. So the show, it ended up culminating in this moment that really, really nicely bookended, um... The audience participation of getting Matty up. Basically, she sent Matty down and got someone else up. And it ended in this way that sort of tied it all together very nicely. Um, and the show that I saw, in particular... I hope... Kiki, if you're listening, I hope you know the night I mean with Matty with the eggplant shirt. The the person that got up... I'm curious to know if what happened when I saw the show happens every night. Because mm. there's there's an invitation to the audience to sort of resolve the issue of the burger that was thrown in one of two ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, I'm curious to know how often, which way happens, you know? Um, and I think it's interesting to sort of, even from theatrical, just like a purely studying the theater point of view mm. to have a show that is so largely based around audience participation, changing the structure of how the story works mm that isn't an improvised show feels ballsy to me. Yeah. Um, and can you think of any equivalents to that? Because I, I, I can't. Like, equivalents, like show. other theatrical examples of that being the case. Yeah. Sure. Well, first off, I think that's, that's so wonderfully inherently theatrical just in the way of the idea of the show being so different each time is mm. a credit to the courage of the artists and totally. part of what's so exciting about the form generally. It's just a lame thing that I want to say. Um, I suppose, for some reason, I am being... Yeah, reminded as you're talking of the show that I saw that I forget the name of, but it was done by what I believe to be an Irish woman, but given my history, she's probably Scottish. She came, she was at the Malthouse and she, the 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 synopsis was kind of like a musical about cancer. And then, oh, do you, did you see this? A War on Cancer? I think that's what it was called. Yeah, I saw War on Cancer. Yeah, you know how yeah. at the end, she's like, okay, now let's all just like turn the, all the lights on and let's just say things about cancer. Oh, yes, I remember this right? bit. Right? And she's yeah. like, okay, so you just yell out someone that you've lost or someone that you love that has cancer or died. Mm. And then people just started calling out things. I, like just, I really remember that. Ones. That was a horrifying moment. Right? And then really people started telling stories. Sad. Yeah. Yep. And it started, it started really feeling like a, like a church or like a... A memorial service or like a vigil. Yep, um, that was one of the. I remember that show really distinctly. Right. I remember it particularly because, and this is a bit of this is breaking away from the sad. I saw that show with a full bladder, James. and I <laughs> needed to pee the entire time. That's poor planning. Oh uh, yeah, and by the end of it, I was so bad that I was convinced I was about to pee my pants. Wow. And so <laughs> the only thing that got me through that entire show uh-huh. was the thought that. These women survived cancer. <laughs> you can survive a full bladder. And that kept me in my seat. And that's what inspiration that's is. That's what inspiration is. And that's why we tell stories. Yeah. <laughs> um, quickly shout out to Kiki Temple because she really obviously held the show together. She was the star. Yeah. But just such a solid performer to have the entire show resting on her shoulders. Mm. And there were so many moments that I can't even... I can't describe them to you because they were so 
the minutiae and the way that she moves and acts and sort of engages the audience is just so charming. Um, and the amount of, like, off-the-cuff improvised beats that she was able to sort of just do just really speak to how she is as a performer. So I really just hope to see her in more things. Mm. Okay, and there you have it. Another episode of our Midsummery for 2023. How do you so feel, So proud of us. So I'm so proud, proud of us. I think it's really good. I think we've great. done amazing yes. things. I think we're bringing the community together. I think people are listening to us. I think we're smart. I think we're intelligent. I think we're sexy. I think we're handsome. Okay. I disagree with a lot of what you just said. Ah. Uh, <laughs> only in the portions that we Not the to. sexy things, right? <laughs> right? We're sexy. Um, thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on this journey so a far. A pleasure. Mm. Um, we've got more to do. There'll be more of the midsummery to go. Yes, we are not done. A lot of art took place. <laughs> and there's a lot to talk about. Yes. And um, you will hear it all in due time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let us know. Like, Midsummer is pretty much over. So, like, regular programming is resuming in terms of, like, what you as artists are doing. So mm. let us know what We're you're doing. We're thirsty to see stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, let us know what you're doing and we'll come to it. Um, we'd love to. Yeah, we'd love for you to have us that would be great thank you so let us be your guest uh, we may already disagree with things that we've said on this podcast our opinions change we're human beings and, and that's how that works and your opinions should be changing too yeah, yeah. if you, if you want to be an engaging human being change your opinions about stuff surprise people at dinner uh, and furthermore uh, friends don't let friends become theatre critics that's J- right yeah just that's, reminding you that's, that's yeah. the only truth we need to worry about <laughs> <laughs> there are other truths 